0: Mercy and peace to you in the name of God our Father, amen. Now, if you can get past the music a little bit on that one, the words are pretty true, aren't they? We all go through struggles, we all through, go through these battles, and whether they be relational or financial or work wise or health wise, there's all stuff in our life that just makes it complicated, that makes it hard, that makes it overwhelming at times. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. I want to take a look at this question. How can God help me defeat some of the giants in my life? And the giants are those things that are overwhelming, that cause us stress, that cause us worry, that cause us tension, that cause us to stay up at night. And the way I want to do that today, the way I want to answer that question is to take a quick look at the life of David. Now, most of you have heard that text before, read that text. It's a little different than the children's version of it. Uh, You know, the, the decapitations and all that kind of stuff. It's a little different. Um... But it does show how God gives victory in some of the cases where it just doesn't even make sense. You know, in the story that was just read, I'm just going to pick up a little bit. It says that King Saul and the Israelites drew up for the battle lines to meet the Philistine army. A champion named Goliath came out of the Philistine camp, and he was over nine feet tall. It's kind of like the Terminator with a thyroid condition. Just a big guy, something was wrong, but anyway, he's huge and he's scary. And Goliath said this, he says, "...this day I will defy the ranks of Israel." Give me a man and let us fight each other. But it says, when the Israelites saw Goliath, they ran from him in great fear. Now some of the things that you might not know, I'm just going to give you a little historical background to why the Israelites might have been so frightened, not just because the guy was nine feet tall and menacing, but, but there was other things that went into it. The Philistines were a seafaring people, and they came from an island in the Mediterranean. Once they landed, they established five cities that became very strong in Israel, They were each led by a very vicious king. The Philistines also entered the Iron Age before the Israelites did, and so their weapons were far superior to anything that the Israelites had. They were also very notorious in their evil. The Philistines would put swords on their chariot wheels so that their chariot riders could go through an infantry and mow down soldiers left and right, like you or I would maybe cut some grass. Recently, and just before this event, the Philistine army had slaughtered 30,000 Israelite soldiers. In a battle. This is still fresh in the minds of the people who were there that day. They were greatly afraid of the Philistines. In fact, it was a testament to their courage and their trust in God that they were even there. And what the Philistines were doing that day was not that uncommon. Rather than putting their whole army at risk, they would just choose one of their champions and have them go out and taunt and mock the opposition to see if they dared to put one of their heroes forward. And then they would fight it out, one-on-one. On one. Everybody else would watch and cheer. And they each would represent their army. Whichever side won, the losing side would either retreat or they would surrender. And so our story picks up from there. David, this little ruddy kid, shepherd boy of a small flock, somehow gets the ear of the king. He'd been talking smack, I guess, to everybody, and, and he got to the king. And so somehow they let him go talk to him. And David says to King Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Saul said, you're just a boy. What are you talking about? But David said, the Lord will deliver me from his hand. And walking down toward the battlefield, David pulls out a slingshot from one pocket. He picks up five rocks and sticks them in the other pocket. And he approaches Goliath. And Goliath, insulted by the fact that they'd send a boy instead of one of their heroes to go fight him, he said, am I a dead dog that you come at me with sticks and stones? He cursed David by his pagan gods. He says, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David responds by saying this, you come against me with spear and javelin and sword. And remember the Philistines had entered the iron age a little bit earlier, right? They estimated that the head of Goliath's spear weighed as much as a bowling ball that his armor that he was wearing weighed over 100 pounds. This guy was well-equipped. He had lots and lots of experience. He was very dangerous. But David says, that's all you come to me with, you know? He says, but I, David said, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day, just hear the confidence of this kid. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. He's talking to this nine-foot giant, heavily equipped, lots of experience. He goes against this nine-foot giant and says, I'm going to win, which tended to enrage Goliath just a little bit more. So Goliath moved forward to attack him. David, though, didn't run the other way. He ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. David slung the stone, struck the Philistine on the forehead. It sank into his forehead, and he fell down, face down, onto the ground. So David triumphed over Goliath with a sling and a stone. And what happened next, according to the Bible, is that David walked over to the fallen corpse, the giant, and removed Goliath's swords, and he decapitates the giant, proving that David was a man who knew how to get ahead. (laughs) That's as as good as it gets today, right there. (laughs) But the question then becomes this. I know. How can we become as courageous as David was? I mean, where do you get that kind of confidence to face things that should just terrorize you, that should scare you out of your boots, that you should have no solution for? The rest of the army, they had no solution. They were afraid to even approach the guy. How do we become courageous in the midst of our giants? Maybe just taking a few moments to look at what our giants might be. Giants could represent an unfaithful spouse, an abusive parent, a tyrannical boss, financial crisis, a career crossroads, a health issue. You know, and it's in these moments when we face the giants in our life that we experience some of the defining moments of our lives. In the crucible of the decision of will I stand or will I fall or will I advance or will I retreat, in these crucibles of decision, we really kind of see who we are and who we're becoming. And sometimes when we're in the midst of that, we like what we see and Man, sometimes we just don't. And we're embarrassed by it. And that adds to our indecision and it adds to our frustration and adds to this giant that's in front of us. So the question becomes, how do we face these giants in our life? How do we slay the giants in our life? Well, God gives us three things in this story that I think can really help us. And one of the first things he gives us is just this, and you'll see this in David. Giant killers live with a perspective of preparation. That makes sense. In other words, David wouldn't have been ready to face Goliath just a few years earlier. He just wasn't ready. He had to be prepared for the task. The Bible talks, too, a little bit about his preparation. In 1 Samuel 17, 15, it goes on to say this. David went out to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. So he was a shepherd. He was used to taking care of animals that didn't care that he was there oftentimes, right? But he was their protector. He was their provider. He was their leader. And being a shepherd is a pretty inauspicious beginning to be a giant killer. But to be fair, most giant killers don't start off as giant killers at the beginning. But learning the lessons in these lonely places during these quiet times, these private places, it prepared David for the battle that would be before him this day. Listen to David testifying about this preparation. David said to Saul, Your servant was feeding his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him, and I attacked him, and I rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose against me, I seized him by the beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he too will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And let me ask you, how how has God been preparing you for the battles that lie before you? I mean, just, I, I don't know about you, but being out in the field with a lion would scare me out of my mind, or, or a bear. You take a sheep, I'd be like, okay, you just took one, and you go, go have a good meal, you know, I'm, I'm going to go this way now with everybody else, you know. And yet, he went after him. This little kid went, went after the bear and the lion. And then I could see that, you know, just seeing where he is, seeing if he could maybe rescue it, if it puts it down for a little bit, or, you know, maybe you could run really fast. And, but then he goes over there, and he confronts the lion and the bear, seems like a bad idea from all the movies I've seen, right? And then if the lion or the beard, they would rise against him. You would grab him by his mane or by the beard. That seems like a really bad idea. And you can understand then when it comes to this battle, even though this guy was nine feet tall, he seemed less scary. His teeth were, le- were not as, you know, scary at all. You know, and his paws weren't quite as vicious. It was just the sword he had in his hand. You could see how that perspective would have given him a different way of looking at this Philistine than everybody else. And so let me ask you again, have you been allowing God to prepare you, to teach you, to train you so that you can be victorious over the big challenges that you face in life? Because clearly that's what made David effective, wasn't it? He somehow gained the courage and the strength to trust God in the little things, which I wouldn't call the bearer lion little things, but in the little things of life, And the little challenges all along the way. And that's what God calls of us, to be faithful in the little tasks, in the little challenges, in the places where nobody sees and nobody knows and we pass all those small tests. Then God says, we're ready. We're ready for the bigger challenges of life. See, David, and I think that surprises people, to be honest. David already had been disregarded by his brothers. He'd already been overlooked by his dad. He had only a handful of sheep that he was responsible over. At best estimate, David was a small-time shepherd, and that's a pretty thankless job, right? Sheep don't applaud the shepherd when the shepherd saves their life, right? He just beat, I mean, he wanted to do the dance. He just beat the, the, the lion or the bear, but the sheep's like, okay, this is good. Let's go now, you know? And, and there's, just, there's a thanklessness to that. The sheep don't know how to stroke the, 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 the ego of the shepherd when he does a good job or he does something particularly well for them. But David used these lonely places of life, the schoolroom, and God taught him his lessons well, so then when I came to a time where David needed to step up, he could. And everybody else was terrorized to take any kind of step at all. You know, someone once said that all leaders are learners. I like that. Leaders are always in the student mode, learning as they go through life. And I think giant killers are the same thing. They're learners too. In fact, no one is more clearly destined to be a giant killer than the person that is hungry to learn from the hand of God. And, and David, you know, he could have wasted all those school years, Right? He could have lived his life as a shepherd in mediocrity. He could have said, when the bear came, bear come, David run the other way. I mean, he could have done that. Who would have known? But, you are who, you, but who you are is measured by what you do when no one else but God is looking. So, so how are you doing in the small tests of life? B.H. Westcott once said this, The great occasions do not make heroes or cowards. They simply unveil them in the eyes of men. The occasion doesn't make you, he said. The occasion just says, this is who you are. And so silently or imperceptibly, as we wait or sleep, as we grow strong or as we grow weak, it usually is the way things are that at last some crisis comes and shows us what we've become. And it's usually in these crucibles, in these difficult times, in these difficult situations where God asks us to be patient or God asks us to trust or God asks us to do something we begin to see how much we truly do trust, how much we have learned during these times. But this is this perspective of preparation that David gives us. Giant killers, too, are a second thing. They see what can be and not what is. You know, somebody told him just the other day about an elderly guy who had gotten to a place in his life where Uh, He just needed to be in a retirement community. He was still in pretty good health, but it was just, I guess, the phase that things were, and he decided to move into one of these places. He needed to be in that kind of environment for a little extra support. And every day, his joy would be to get up, get shaved, put on his best clothes, and he would walk down to the recreation center, and there he would play checkers with his buddies. And he loved it. It it He just had a blast doing it every single day. Well, he was doing this one day when, one, when he had this odd sense. And if you ever been doing something and somehow you just know that someone's looking at you, you can just feel it, somebody's looking at me, he had that sense. This guy was playing checkers and he feels that someone's looking at him and he looks up and sure enough, an elderly woman across the room was staring at him. He does what most of us would do. He looks down and thinks just out of courtesy she would avert her gaze. But when he looked up, she's staring still right at him. <laughs> no wavering, no nothing, just staring so he looks down again and he's starting to get a little unsettled by this situation why in the world is this lady staring at me he's trying to think of his next move but he can't he knows she's looking at him he gets a little angry about it he thinks to himself i'm just going to stare the old broad down his words not mine okay <laughs> and he looks at her and he stares and he stares and he stares she doesn't even blink he backs down he looks down He's really shook now. She didn't even blink the whole time I was looking at her. And then he thinks, I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk across this room, and I'm going to tell her not to look at me anymore, not to stare at me anymore, and that's what he does. He gets up. He walks over to her, and he says, Ma'am, I've noticed that you've been staring at me. And she says, Yes, you look like my third husband. And he softens. He says, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't know. He goes, How many times have you been married? She said, Twice. And I share that because some people have this uncanny knack of seeing what could be rather than what is. And did you know that's the definition of faith? Hebrews 11.1 says this, Faith is believing what you cannot see. And this is why David is known as a man of faith. He was able to see and to believe in a victory over Goliath when nobody else could but he was able to see that God was bigger than any of his problems. The the question that weighed so heavily on the hearts and minds of so many of the Israelite soldiers were, how big is Goliath to me? Or how big is Goliath to man? But that was the wrong question. The right question when you are facing your giants in life is how big is this giant to God? That's why one preacher called the story, the story of David and the dwarf, right? Because God compared to anything, makes that thing, anything small. And it's with that perspective that I want you to complete this next sentence for me. My giant that I'm facing with right now is blank. And so what is your giant? Is it a relationship struggle right now? Is it a health problem? Is it a financial issue? Is it a sin problem? What is it that is creating the fear in your life? What is causing you to stay up late right now? What is it that's depressing you or that's disappointing you? What is it that's hurting your heart? And then I want you to put underneath that, my God is bigger. And you know, I don't even have to know what you put down on that line. I I don't even have to know how many of the giants you put on that line. The second line is still true. My God is bigger. My God is bigger than any problem that I have. My God can overcome any struggle that I'm going through. And you know what? Giant killers have that perspective as they walk through life. And then I'll give you a third thing. Giant killers give credit where credit is due. We would call this the character quality of humility. And if you know anything about David, you know that all the way through his life, from reading his story, you would know that David is very, very humble before his God. In 1 Samuel 17, 46, David said this, "I'll, I'll tell you why I'll go fight to Goliath. I'll tell you why I'll stand alone if necessary. I'll tell you why I'll risk my life to be faithful to the Lord. He said this, for today the world will know that there is a God in Israel. And do you hear the humility in that? Maybe not at first glance, but what David was saying is this. He wasn't saying, look at me. He was saying, look at my God. He wasn't saying, look how strong I am. I got a sling. He was saying, look how strong my God is. David wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He was trying to make a name for God. He was trying to elevate the name of God. And we see David's humility everywhere as you go through Scripture. David was the writer of most parts of the longest book of the Bible, the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. There's over 150 chapters in this book, all songs. And David wrote most of them. And he was a songwriter, an amazing songwriter, and they kept his lyrics because they brought people closer to God. And yet you know what's interesting? Out of all the songs that he ever wrote, he never wrote one about defeating Goliath. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's humility. If I was a songwriter and I had defeated Goliath, I might write a song about it. In fact, that's what we'd be doing right now. We'd be singing that song. It would be Mike, or what would it be? He fought the Mike and the Mike won, right? I mean, number one in your hymnal, right? We'd be singing it. The day the giant died. I mean, that's what it would be. I, I did something amazing. We're singing about it, you know, right now. But not David. That's that's not what David did. David's heart was not the kind that needed the credit. His reason for getting through this tight spot successfully wasn't just to, to make his life easier. It's because he understood that he was the man God had called for this particular situation. This guy was defying Israel. He was defying their God. And to his amazement, all his brothers, everybody in Israel, the king himself, they were doing nothing about it. He has an indignant anger, a, a righteous anger over what this guy was doing. And God was moving him to go into action. He had fought a bear, he had fought a lion, thought, you know, what the heck? Let's try it, you know? And that's why this is not some self help kind of, kind of sermon where we kind of try to beat the barriers down so that you feel good about you. It's all about believing that God has a plan for your life, that He has purpose even when it's hard. It's all about allowing the battlefields in your life to become a platform to see God work, to do powerful things, to see God displayed in your life. As you look at Goliath, he had everything the world says you need to be a winner. He had size, he had skill, he had experience, he had equipment. When David went about choosing what he would go into battle with, he just said this, I'm going to choose God. All I need is God. He's my partner. I'm going to go into battle with him. And I, as I was thinking about the whole message, I thought, you know, may that be the battle cry for all of us here today. That we're going to go to battle against whatever giants it is that we're facing. And we're going to face our struggles and our problems and our giants. But we're going to do so with God as our strength and as our solution as we go forward. And we're going to trust he's going to show up and we're going to trust jesus to forgive and to save and to renew and to conquer and even to restore we're going to trust that he's got it we will give the effort where we will be available but where god will be there to give the victory you know as we go through life i think way too often we just try to put it all on us we are the be all and end all of our solutions and God's up there just saying, trust me, you know, call me. I've got this. Just, just follow me in this and, and we'll get to the other side. And it's a perspective that sometimes it is the other side. It's seven, right? And that's victory. It, but oftentimes it's on this earth that we get to experience so much of his grace. And we can see relationships reconciled. And we can see unexpected things happen that allow us to move through with our finances in ways that we could have never imagined. And we see things that, unless it's God's purpose to take us home, we see healing. Every one of us has seen healing. It's crazy the way God, when he gets involved, when we let him do his thing, works. And if you want to be a giant killer, that's God's call to you today. It's a call to trust in your amazing God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for being there. Uh, I I thank you this morning that they laughed at that one joke that I had. Uh, But, Lord, life is hard, and we all have our struggles. We, We all have those things that we can't control that are driving us nuts. We worry about people's salvation. We worry about health. We worry about money. We worry about our careers. We worry about all sorts of things, Lord. And, Father, so many of them just don't work out according to plan, and so many of them we have sabotaged or done dumb things to hurt and And so, Father, not only do we need you to rescue us, to save us, we need you to forgive, and we pray that you would renew some of the things we broke, that you get us to the other side of some of the situations that we put ourselves in. And, Father, for those things that have just come upon us, we pray, save us, give us solutions, give us answers. But, Father, most of all, just get our gaze off of ourselves and put it anew on you as one who is able. And as on one who cares. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.